You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. think about what a particular area might have looked like before a city moved in or before the roads moved in or before growth happened if you will now the older you are the more you can don't have to really think about what it used to be like you remember what it used to be like like we remember what it was like out here when we moved out here and Evans post office was right across the street where Tucson's fireworks is, and there was no Publix, there was no Lowe's, there was no Home Depot, there was none of that when we first moved out here. And that just shows how old I am, that I can remember back to those days when this was the country, and we moved out in kind of a country church. The truth of the matter is, I've stood at a lot of places, I don't know why this is, and I'm just like, man, I wonder what this was like before all of this was here. Maybe you've done that too, and, and we probably could figure it out, go back and look at some old photos, or, or possibly find some old aerial photo shots of a, of a particular location and see what was it like before everything kind of grew up around it. Now, ironically, we are in a city to where we can see a place begin to go back to what it was like. Because the Augusta National is buying up thousands of acres between I-20 and the golf course and returning it back to its original state almost with just pine trees and grass where we could see the hand of time kind of being turned back to a certain degree right in front of our eyes. Somewhat of its original unadulterated state. Here's what I know about that. It takes a lot of power and a lot of money to return something that's established back to its unadulterated state. Growing up, our family used to go to the lake, Clarks Hill Lake, and uh, do all types of lake things that you would do. Now my parents live up there full time, but back in the day, it was just kind of a, a lake house. It wasn't any place that you would want to go live for any long period of time. It was just a, a lake house. And, and I, I use that le- loosely. Like, it's not like a, a, this lake house that we think about, like a dream home. It was just a house that you slept in when you went to the lake. That was kind of it, right? And got a lot of allergies because of it. Uh, but we would hang out on the dock, and we would ski, and we would fish, and we would eat and we would sleep. We'd do all the things that you do at the lake. But our dock at our lake was at least a couple of hundred yards or more from the house. And if you've ever been up there, you know this to be the case. So years ago, when I was younger, we would all pile into my dad's old Chevy van. I think it was like a 67 Chevy work van. And we'd put all the stuff into the van and, and we'd drive down to the dock and unload all the stuff just like, you know, it was easy. And then the, the Corps of Engineers came up with this great idea. They said they were disallowing all vehicles down near the lake. So I was like, fine, okay, first world problems, right? So we're going to walk down. We'll carry all the stuff, kind of like you do when you're trekking to the beach with your family. And so we did all of that for years. And then they came up with this idea that, no, now when you walk down to the dock, we want you to take alternate paths. 
so that you don't beat down a path, right, that, is, that, that you could tell. We kind of want it to be natural, so we want you to take alternate paths down to the lake. And I ask you, how many people want to traipse through the woods and cut through like all the spider webs and the poison ivy to get down to the dock that belongs to you? Who wants to do that? You want to take the well-worn path that had been beat down by usage and weight of a car and footpath traffic over and over and over again. So it was easy. We, we, we followed it. We didn't have to think about it. We just walked along it and followed it. We knew it would, would lead us right to where we were supposed to go. It was familiar. It was easy. It was well-worn. Why does a path become well-worn? Usage and weight. Even the Augusta National, with all of their resources and power, has ugly, muddy paths during the tournament, no matter what they do, because of usage and weight on the same routes over and over and over again. Let me make a connection for us today. This is what sin is like in our lives. Well-worn paths that have become that way through what? Usage and weight. We've been down this road before, but here we go again. We know where it leads because we've been down it so many different times. It's familiar, it's easy, it's well-worn, but here we go again throwing the weight of our trust onto a sinful path by trusting in ourselves. Now let's look at the Word of God today in the book of Ephesians because we're in a series, Sit, Walk, Stand, in the book of Ephesians. And what I want to do is I want to remind us as we get into the Word that the Bible is meant to be obeyed, not just read and studied. We can have all the theological understanding and you should read your Bible and you should study your Bible, but more importantly, you should obey God's Word. All throughout Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes what Christ has done for us in light of that truth, and this is how we are to live for Christ. That's what he's saying. This is what Christ has done for you, and in light of that truth, it's not that you just know this, but this is how you are to live for Christ. Or don't just say it, obey it. And in case of our text today, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're back at Ephesians chapter 4, and this particular message is going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through 24. And Paul is saying because of what Christ has done, which we talked about in Ephesians 1 and 2, and that is raised us from the dead and seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, because of what Christ has done, what are we to do? Last week we said we are to walk in unity because of what Christ has done. Today Paul is saying because of what Christ has done, we are to walk in purity or we're to walk on an unadulterated path with his guidance to navigate us the light of his word the path of righteous abundant living so let's start reading in verses 17 through 19 so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. With God-given authority, Paul is speaking into the lies of the church in Ephesus. This is what he's saying. I'm insisting on it in the Lord. I'm speaking on behalf of God to you. So I'm insisting on this authority that God has, that he is speaking through me, that you listen to what I'm having to say, and that you obey it. Paul starts with this admonition. Here's the leader gift that we talked about last week. This apostolic authority that's coming through Paul as he's teaching and preaching and he's equipping the saints so that they can do the work of ministry, which is to build up the body of Christ. He's saying, don't imitate the lives of people who have no desire to obey and please God. Why would you do that? And then this is what he does. He describes the difference between those that have no desire to obey God and those that do. He's describing the difference between the unsaved and the saved, the spiritually dead and the spiritually living. And here's where he starts in the comparison. He starts with our thinking. He starts with how we think. As Christians, He's saying we are to think differently than those who have empty minds, he says, darkened understanding and an inward ignorance that separates them from the life of God that God intends for us to have. He's saying, listen, your mind should be different. It shouldn't be futile. It shouldn't be darkened. It shouldn't be ignorant. That's how those who don't know Christ live and operate. This is where the battle of sin is waged, in the battlefield of our minds. And when it's a way of life, here's what happens, sin becomes a well-worn pathway in our minds. Neuroscience proves this to be true. And if you've ever read anything about that or maybe read some books and studied about this, neuroscience is basically just catching up with what God did when he created our brains to operate the way that they operate. But it proves to be true that we create neural pathways through our bad habits and they become like ruts in our brains that we cannot get out of on our own. Neuroscience has shown us concrete ways, a reality of a human existence and experience that is crucial if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what this is. Mostly that our behavior is governed by habit. Our behavior does not consist of a series of conscious choices all the time. It is what? It is governed by habit. Habits are in our neural pathways, and sin gets in our habits. So guess what? Sin gets in our minds. That's why we have to renew them daily. Our mind has to be renewed. Most of the time, a change of behavior requires what? A creation of new habits, hence why we need the body of Christ to help us take the alternate path to get out of the ruts of our old path so that we can have a renewed mind and live according to Christ's purpose. But before we get to that, what is the problem with an unsaved mind? What is the problem with a mind that isn't being renewed? Paul tells us, starting in verse 17, he says, our mind is, 
If you're reading there, it says futile, futile in its thinking. Meaning what we are planning, what we are thinking about in this life apart from Christ is in vain. It is purposeless. There is no substantial purpose to thinking about what I'm going to do with my life apart from Christ. Without God, who is your creator, who's breathed life into you, who has a purpose and a plan for your life, our lives are not being fulfilled the way they're supposed to be, and our minds cannot think correctly about how we're supposed to live apart from him. We can't understand. We can't make sense of the world around us. We can't even make sense of our own lives. Therefore, he's saying, your thinking is futile. It's in vain. Let's keep going. Paul says another problem is not just futile thinking, but with the unsaved, unredeemed mind is darkened in its understanding. Meaning you think you're wise, but in reality, you're foolish. That's what darkened means. Satan has blinded, Scripture says, blinded the minds of the unsaved so that you cannot see the light of truth. And when we can't see the light of truth, guess what we do? We default to the well-worn path of our sin, which we can make our way down even in the dark. Why? Because we've been down it so many times. It's kind of like that well-worn path from my side of the bed to the toilet. And the older you get, the more well-worn it gets. But you know what? When you wake up in the middle of the night, do you cut on every light so you can make sure that you get there? No. First of all, your spouse would be ticked off. And then secondly, I would wake myself up so much that I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep. So what do I do? I pretty much try to keep my eyes closed. Everything's dark, but I know exactly how to get there because I've walked that path so many times. I can get there even in the dark. And so that's what we do. I've been down this road. It's easy. It's well-worn. I don't have to have light. I know. And every now and then, yeah, I might bump into something, but that's what happens when I go down paths that aren't lit by God's word. Because, he says, we're darkened. It means this. It means not just that our eyes are blinded so they can't see the truth, but watch this. It's also that our mind is darkened so that we cannot even think straight about spiritual matters. And why is this happening? He goes on, he says, because of the hardening of their hearts in verse 18. The well-worn path of usage and weight is so hard, nothing can grow on it anymore. That's why if you've ever dealt with somebody else or maybe in your own life where you're walking down a path that is well-worn, that no matter what anybody says to you, doesn't make any sense. Why? It's like the parable of the sower, where the seed falls, and people are planting it, and people are saying it, and God is telling you, and he's reminding you, but the hard-hearted ground is so hard that there's no way for that seed to take root and actually grow and make you turn around and repent and get off of that path. Our hearts are hard. Why? Because we've given ourselves over to a sin that is now controlling us. Then we lose sensitivity to God. We lose all self-control. We give in to a reckless life path. This, Paul is saying, is the life of the old mind, the old nature, our sinful past that is supposed to be dead. But thanks be to God, 
That's not where the scripture ends, and it's not where the story ends. That in Jesus Christ, he's saying you've got a different path to walk on, a path of purity. So let's read the next part of our text, starting in verse 20. He says this, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you may lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Here's the truth. You're either being corrupted He's saying, or you're being renewed. Which is it? Juxtaposed against what I just talked about, the evil of the unredeemed mind, the evil of that well-worn path in our unredeemed thinking, hardness, darkness, recklessness. Juxtaposed against that in Christ, he's saying the believer is supposed to be learned, heard, and taught in Christ. Now get this. This is what Paul's doing. It's supposed to be an encouraging rebuke and argument at the same time, really. Paul says, come on, man. This is not the life that you learned. The NASB puts it this way. But you did not learn Christ in this way. The BLG puts it this way. Bruh, this ain't you. Those are my initials. That's not you. This is not how you live. You know better. First, Paul says, you did not learn Christ in this way. He didn't say learn about Christ. Because you can learn about something and never do anything with it. To learn Christ means that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You accept all that he is and all that that means, which is lordship, the righteousness he died for me to walk in, and the standard of living that is completely antithetical to the old pathways that I used to walk down. For me, Paul said, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, meaning the very essence of our lives in Christ and all that it entails glorifies him. You learned Christ. Man, as I was reading this, it was almost like, I know sometimes it sounds like semantics, but it isn't. It's like I was praying, God, I don't just want to learn about you. I want to learn you. Then he says, when you heard Christ, again, not when you heard about him, but heard Christ. Guess what this does? This takes us back so that we can actually hear Christ in ways that oftentimes we're not willing to hear Christ. Takes us back to the gifts given to the church earlier in Ephesians 4.12 for the equipping of the saints so that you can hear Christ. So he's saying, when you heard Christ through the voice of the Christian teachers, you actually heard Christ's voice speaking to you. You know, it's easier to hear your own voice and call it the Lord's than it is to hear the voice of God that he put in your life through others to speak on his behalf. So we could say it this way, because this is what Paul is saying. When sound biblical teaching and moral instruction is happening, Christ is teaching about Christ. When you heard Christ. Lastly, he says, When you heard Christ, you've been taught in him. Now, I like this, in Christ. You've been taught in Christ. 
You've learned him, you've heard him, and you've been taught in him. I like how John Stott puts it, that in addition to Jesus Christ being the teacher and the teaching, he was also the context or even the atmosphere within which the teaching was given. Hopefully, all of our teachings are one where Jesus is the subject, the object, and the environment. Where that is the case, you can be confident of hearing Christ taught. And when you obey that, that you're walking in the truth. So that you don't have to say, well, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what you just said. Oh, okay. Then we're going to go back to Ephesians 4 and say, well, then what good are the gifts to the body of Christ if we don't even listen to what's being said by our brothers and sisters and the leaders that God's placed over us? What good? So let's keep going. Because he's saying, if you've been raised from the dead to live an entirely new life, put on a new path to walk in, here's what it looks like. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul is telling us to put off the old grave clothes of the dead person and to walk in the newness of life through Jesus Christ. If you want to do a little bit more study of God's word, maybe in your connect group this week, here's what you can know. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 is a summary of Romans 5, 8, 6, 7, 5, 6, 7, and 8. I'm just, I don't know what, how I went from 5 to 8. 5 through 8. He's saying you are dead but now you're alive, so don't go back down that dark, familiar path into the grave and put on those old, nasty grave clothes again. I liken this to when you take a shower, or maybe your kids, but I'm sure you've done it too, right? You take a shower, you get clean, and then you go to the hamper. Has anybody ever had a hamper anymore, or is that just old school? Like growing up, we had a hamper. Does anybody even know what a hamper is? Okay. I don't know. I didn't know if it was like, okay, now it's just laundry baskets, right? We don't have hampers anymore. It sounds weird. I don't know why the word sounds weird, but it does sound weird to me. So I liken this. So I've taken a shower. I've gotten clean, or my child's taken a shower, and he's gotten clean. And then they walk to, I'll be back. Oh. This is mine, it's broken, it, it's all, look, look, I need a new one. But this is, this is like your old life. Old basket of your old life. Oh, I just got clean, let's see. Oh, oh, I wore that all weekend, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, just, just wanna get that out there for y'all, okay. Oh, there's my old pants. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty good. I guess I could put those back on. Let's see some socks in here. Oh, there's some blue socks. That matches Duke blue. Okay. Ooh. Oh, that's all right. We'll put those on. That's okay. How ridiculous. I just got clean. It's like when my kids were younger, and it's like, did you put your underwear back on that you just took off? No, that's not how it works. Go get some clean clothes. You've been washed clean. 
Now put on the clothes that match up with that. And catch this now, Paul isn't saying put off the old nature so that you can put on the new nature. He's not saying that. He's saying in what has happened through the once in the lifetime resurrection of Jesus Christ that you've accepted, you already are that new person. So put on the clothes that are in accordance with your new life in Christ. So therefore it makes perfect sense that Paul is commanding us to put away all those old, dirty, stinky, death clothes. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Buddy had been in the grave for four days. And there wasn't the way that we have to preserve bodies. They just wrapped him in a lot of grave clothes and tried to do all they could. That's a long time to be dead. And Jesus finally shows up. And Martha's like, Jesus, it's too late. And he's been in the grave for like four days. At this point, he's going to smell. He stinketh. I, I think that's actually what the King James Version says. So what is going to happen here is Jesus has plans that only he and the Father were aware of. And that's not just to make a sick person well. It's to make a dead person a new person. So he displays his power over death, also foreshadowing what he would do on the cross through his own resurrection. So Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Then in verse 44 of John 11, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The new King James says, loose him. Let him loose. Set him free. A resurrection has just taken place. Lazarus was dead and now he's alive. But think how ridiculous. How ridiculous would it be that after being raised from the dead, that Lazarus that night when it was time to go to sleep, walked right back down into the tomb, into the grave, and put all those nasty, bloody grave clothes back on, laid down and went to sleep. Loose him. Let him walk in the freedom that I've set him free to walk in. He's saying you are no longer a slave to sin. You belong to the new creation in Christ. So take off those nasty clothes and don't ever put them back on again. But why? And how? Why? It's because you belong to Christ. How? It's because these new pathways in your mind and Christ have to now be cut through with his help. Verse 23, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yes, put off the old self. Yes, you came up out of the grave. That's who you are. But in order to continue to walk out this life of purity, you must daily, continually renew your mind. If there's futility in the mind of the unredeemed, then constant renewing is at the heart of the redeemed mind that's going to live righteously. Sanctification is, among other things, the process by which God uses various means of grace, various gifts of grace, various teachings in the body of Christ to reprogram our neural pathways so that we can renew our minds daily. If you're going to live righteously, here's where you have to create a new path, an alternate path. And this new path needs to be as well-worn as that old path. Once you keep walking on, 
over and over and over again, one that you keep putting your weight of your life on over and over and over again as you're saying, I'm putting my trust in God and not in myself. It is the path of renewing your mind through the washing of the water of God's word. It is spending time in the Bible. It's allowing yourself to be sanctified in the truth because John says his word is truth. Weight signifies trust. I'm throwing the weight of my life onto your path, God, because you are trustworthy. You alone have the words of life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a light unto my path. And I will come here every day, early in the morning, late in the evening, because I love your statutes. I love your word. Your word reminds me of who I am in Christ. This path reminds me that I'm a new creation, a son, a daughter, a child of the king, valuable, chosen, complete, satisfied, whole, a forgiven sinner being perfected day after day and each new day there's mercies for me to walk in. So I just keep going back to that path. See we're a new creation therefore we have received a new mind that is in constant need of being renewed. This new mind then reminds us of the implications of being a new creation. Walking with Jesus reminds us that since we are a new creation, we have to be done with that old path and that old way of living and those old clothes. Your new actions and behavior have to be consistent with your new resurrected life. Simply hearing that something is bad, that sexual sin is bad, or that anger is, is, can be, lead to bad things in your life, or greed, simply hearing all that, or hearing correct theological information does not rewire those mental pathways. What is required is a new set of habits, which will surely include confession and repentance and fellowship and accountability and the reading of scripture through which God could create new and deeper pathways that become a new second nature to you. It's the new creation that you are in Christ. The reason that spiritual disciplines are so important, part of this kind of change, is that they honor the physical nature of human life that we were made Body, mind, and soul. Theological information alone doesn't override a bad habit. The information has to be embodied, has to become habituated into our attitudes, our patterns of response, and our reflexive actions. God uses relationships, experiences, and practices to shape and reshape the character of our lives that gets embedded at the most physical level, our minds. We've been given, and here's the good news, you have been given the mind of Christ. Don't you know, wanna, wouldn't it be an amazing, I'm not a, a neuroscientist, but wouldn't it be amazing to look at the mind, actually the physical mind of Christ, and just see all the things that he's, because of all the time he spent in prayer, all the time he spent obeying God, how his brain was the healthiest there ever was. We've been given the mind of Christ. So in this new life of walking with Jesus, day after day, he leads us in paths of righteousness. And guess what he clothes us in? Robes of righteousness. New clothes. The kinds of clothes we wear oftentimes depends on the kinds of roles we're fulfilling in life. For example, I have a few different suits. You don't see me wear them often. I don't preach in a suit often. Depends on where I'm at. But not here, 
because I'm much more comfortable in this particular type of attire, although I'm super hot right now. So next, uh, I brought a short sleeve shirt that I'm wearing in the next service. But the truth of the matter is those roles, right? I, I don't wear this to the weddings that I do. I don't wear this to the funerals that I do. We understand the concept of changing our dress to fit a specific role and occasion. So follow me, when we change our role, we change the way we dress. Like once someone in the armed forces becomes a civilian, they don't keep wearing their uniform every day because they have a new life. I think a better analogy for us today would be this though, someone who's imprisoned. See, when a prisoner is in prison, they are issued prison clothes. But when they're released from being in jail, becoming a free person, they change from their prison clothes and put something on, and we'll call them freedom clothes. Jesus came to set us free from the prison of sin and death. He already did so on the cross. So when we walked out of the imprisonment of our old life into the freedom of a new life in Christ, it makes absolutely, Paul saying, no sense whatsoever to put on our prison-issued clothes to walk back down into that place of incarceration, into that old familiar life. We put on the new clothes. We're clothed in righteousness of Christ because we have a new life, a new lifestyle, one that honors God and one that benefits others. Verse 23, let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. You were created to be like God and so you must please Him and be truly holy. Remember what I said at the beginning? about turning a whole city block back into its original unadulterated state. It takes a lot of power, it takes a lot of money to do something like that. It takes a lot of power and it was very expensive to turn our old lives back into their unadulterated state. Because the good news of the gospel tells us there's no greater power than Jesus. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. And he had more than enough resources to pay the price in full with his blood for our sin to turn our adulterated, beat down, sinful life pathways into an unadulterated, pristine condition, new life in Christ. A brand new life. A brand new path. And here's what I want to encourage you today. Because every single one of us, that's why we have to renew our, not renew our minds daily. Because every single day there's an opportunity to go down that well-worn path that we could get down in the dark. And it's going to take us into even darker places. Or to keep wearing out this path into the presence of God by reading his word, by worshiping him, by maintaining fellowship with his body by obeying his word, by praying, all of those things that just begin to rewire everything up here, renewing our mind, not just physically, but spiritually, so that we live a life that brings glory and honor to Christ. You know, back in the New Testament, in, or in the Old Testament, in Genesis, there was all these things that God had for Adam and Eve to do, amazing things. And there was one thing, just one, that he said, don't. 
I liken that to the same choices we have today. The paths that God has for us to walk down, that he says that he will light with his word. There's so many things God has for us to do for his glory and and our good. And yet we want to choose to go back to the one path that he saved us so that we never had to go back on again. I want to encourage you, church, if that's you today, choose life. Choose Jesus. And for us as a church, listen, if we're going to continue to walk in purity like Paul's saying that we need to do as a church, then continue to make those habits, those disciplines of following Jesus Christ through his word and obeying his word. Make that daily the posture of your life. And I promise you, you will never go back to that old nasty, dirty laundry basket and put those old clothes back on because you've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.